We need rest, don't we? Our bodies need rest. Our minds need rest. In 2005, there was a 28-year-old South Korean man who sat in front of his computer playing games non-stop for 49 hours until he died from a heart attack for not having a break. Truck drivers are forced to take rest, aren't they? Um, because it's dangerous not to, asked James. Uh, I checked the Guinness World Record for the longest time without sleep. It's 11 days. A guy in the 1950s survived for 11 days without sleep. But eventually, we all need rest. We need a break from work for our bodies to recover. Perhaps you feel like you need a break right now. Well, today we're thinking about rest. And like we saw last week, quite often we come to the Bible with our own questions, don't we, about rest. Like, you know, should a Christian have one day off in seven? Is it okay to work on Sundays? So on. But today, like last week, I don't want to begin with our questions. I want to begin with what God sees as important in Genesis 2. And in Genesis 2, we see that it's actually not primarily about our rest It's about God's rest. Now let's just read the first part of it together again. 131. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Remember last week, God has spent six days creating this beautiful world, giving it form, filling it, and finally putting human beings in charge of it. And then we read, thus the heavens and earth were completed in their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. I think that's a strange verse. God, the all-powerful creator, rests. Why does God rest? I mean, is he tired after all he's creating and he needs a break. Uh, It's not as if God needs rest, is it? Last week we saw that his creating was effortless. He just spoke and the world came into being by his word. God's not just having a breather here, so on day eight he can roll up his sleeves and get back to work again creating. There's no day eight. Day seven seems to go on forever. It doesn't have an evening and a morning. It just sits there. God makes the world in six days... And then he rests. But it's not from all his work, is it? Um, Although that's what it says there. But look down at verse 3. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So the seventh day is not like an end to all of God's activity. It's actually more of a change in activity, isn't it? Because he stops creating, but he's, he's still relating with his world. So if you read on in chapter 2 and chapter 3, we find God walking around in the cool of the afternoon, chatting with people. He, he's kind of enjoying his creation, talking with the human beings that he's made. So he stops creating and he starts relating. It's, it's more of a change in activity. Think maybe about making a table. There's the table that they make in a factory, you know. There's hundreds of tables. They're all the same. They're mass-producing them. They pack them up. They send them out. They go to a furniture shop. They never see the table again. The end result is the table. And Friday, the factory shuts down. 
has a weekend and then Monday up we go again and we're making more tables. Now I think there's a different kind of uh, table making and that's like the table I made myself where I made a table but then it's in our house and we use it. And the joy is not so much in the making, the table's not like the making of it is not the end result, but the joy is in the using of it. You know, every time I put the um, coffee mug down on the table, this is the table that I built. Now that's what God's creation is like. Day seven is a picture of God's world finished and God is sitting back and he's looking over the world and it's not, okay, that one's finished, let's go on and make another one. It's the world's here and it's time for God to enjoy it. Uh, the, the end goal of creation is rest with God. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested. The goal of creation is rest. And I want to spend this morning unpacking that a little bit. Uh, what does that mean? What is God's rest? What does it mean for us sitting here right now, 2009, this morning? What, is it, what has it got to do with us that God rested on the seventh day? And to get to us, we really need to follow the idea of God's rest, rest through the Bible until it gets to us. We don't just jump from Genesis to us. So we're going to do that this morning. We're going to follow what Israel, God's people, how they thought about God's rest in the Old Testament. And then we're going to see what Jesus said about God's rest. And we're going to follow the story through until it gets to us. And God's rest. So you'll see that in your outline. We're, we've just looked at um, day seven, God's rest. We're going to look at Israel and the Sabbath. So if you were to read on in your Bibles beyond Genesis 1, you would find in chapter 3 that people disobey God. The beautiful world becomes a mess. And God wants to fix things up. And so out of all the people in the world... God chooses one nation to be his Israel, the end of Genesis, the start of Exodus now. And in Exodus, the second book of the Bible, God rescues the Israelites from Pharaoh. God's people are now in the desert, and in the desert, God provides for them manna, kind of bready stuff from heaven for them to eat. And each day they have to collect this manna, but God tells them through Moses on the sixth day to collect double because the seventh day is going to be a special day and Moses calls it the Sabbath day. And this is the first reference to the Sabbath day in the Bible. Exodus 16:23. Don't have to look it up now, but it's on your bulletin if you want to grab it later. Just listen. Moses says to the people, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil, save whatever's left and keep it till the morning. So they saved it till the morning, as Moses commanded, and it didn't stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You'll not find any manna on the ground today. Six days you're to gather, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there won't be any. I've gone there because, as I said, that is the first reference to Sabbath day in the Bible. Sabbath, the Hebrew word, um, simply means to stop, stop working. So the Sabbath day is the day of stop working. And it actually, for the nation of Israel, turns out to be very important. Because if we were to read on in Exodus, we get to chapter 20, where God gives his people the Ten Commandments. 
This is how God wants the Israelites to live in the promised land. And the fourth commandment is a commandment to keep the Sabbath day, the day of rest. You might want to look this up in Exodus 20. It's worth looking up. I'm going to read it. And as I read Exodus 20, verse 8, I want you to listen to why God's people need to have a Sabbath. Okay, I'm going to read the command God is telling his people to rest. I want you to think about why. What's the motivation God gives? Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Holy just means different. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord Yahweh your God. On it you you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days... The Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. What's the reason God gives for the Sabbath day there in Exodus as he gives those commands? That's, that's your question. Hands up or yell it out. Just have a little read over Exodus. What's the reason... God wants his people to rest. Yes, it's looking back to God and his rest. Okay? It's not just about having a break for Israel. It's not just a day to sit back and have a cup of tea or go and play golf or play Scrabble or whatever the Israelites would have done in their day. Uh, it's primarily a day to look back and remember God and his creating and his rest. But as we read on in the Bible, we get to Deuteronomy. And what's happened between Exodus and Deuteronomy is the Israelites were about to go in the land. They chickened out. God punished them for not trusting him. They wandered in the desert for 40 years. And by the time we get to Deuteronomy, they are just about to enter the land again. Well, they didn't the first time, but they're just about to enter. And God gives them the Ten Commandments again. But this time, one of the commands changes. And in the second giving of the Ten Commandments, the commandment that changes is the Sabbath. It's a little bit like one of those spot the difference puzzles. You know, there's the sheep here and the sheep here, and this one's got more spots. Sometimes it's a little bit hard to spot the difference. But I'm going to read Deuteronomy chapter 5. You might want to turn there. And as I read, I want you to see if you can spot the difference. Now, there's a little difference because there's, there's an ox and a donkey mentioned in the first one, that's not, in the second one that's not the first, but that's covered by animals. So I want you to spot a bigger difference than just the ox. So Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12, the Ten Commandments, second time round. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, 
and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Could you spot the difference in the reason for observing the Sabbath? That's right. So in Exodus, the idea of the Sabbath was to remember creation and God's rest. But now, Sabbath is no longer about remembering God's rest from creating. It's now to remember Israel's rescue from slavery. Their rest from slavery, if you like. God has now done something even bigger than creating. He's rescued his people, and now that's what they are to remember on the Sabbath. In fact, in the New Testament, God will do something even bigger that will eclipse this rescue, but we'll get more of that later on. What this means is the main point of the Sabbath, it's not about having a break, it's not about a day off. The main point of the Sabbath is remembering what God has done for his people. That's why it's so important. Because failing to observe the Sabbath is not just about working an extra day and say you're a bit tired and grumpy to the people around you. Failing to observe the Sabbath is failing to remember God. It is failing to acknowledge God. Now that's why I take it for Israel to ignore the Sabbath was such a serious offence. Listen as I read from Numbers 15. It's in your bulletins. You can look it up later. Numbers 15.32. While the Israelites were in the desert, a man was found gathering wood on the Sabbath day. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly and they kept him in custody because it was not clear what should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, this man must die. The whole assembly must stone him outside the camp. So the assembly took him outside the camp and stoned him to death as the Lord commanded Moses. It's a harsh penalty for not having a smoko break, isn't it? That's not what it's about. It's not a harsh penalty for ignoring God. The Sabbath for Israel was a sign of being God's people. For six days a week, they'd, they'd work like any other nation around them, but on the seventh day, they'd stop working. They would meet together. They'd look to God. They'd remember his works in the past. They would sing. Psalm 92 was one of the songs they would sing. They would have a feast. They would celebrate. They would remind themselves of God's goodness. The Sabbath for Israel is not just a day off. It's the most important part of their week. In fact, when you get to the prophets, Isaiah 56, the Sabbath day becomes the sign of being one of God's people, like maybe an Australian flag or a, a Cronulla football jersey. The Sabbath is a sign of following God because you can be circumcised, you can be a Jew and not follow God. Or you can be a foreigner and follow God. What is the sign? It's the Sabbath. So in Isaiah 56, it says, if you're a eunuch and you keep the Sabbath, you're in, even though you should be excluded. If you're a foreigner, not an Israelite, and you keep the Sabbath... You're in, you're saved. But if you're an Israelite, a Jew, and you don't keep the Sabbath, you're out. 
keeping the Sabbath becomes the sign of being one of God's people. That's why it was so important to Israel, punishable by death. So important. Come with me to the New Testament. Imagine what a surprise it must have been for a Jew to be told that the Sabbath day keeping is over. I'm going to read from Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. You can look it up if you like. Imagine being a Jew where the very sign of being an authentic one of God's people is to observe the Sabbath. It's the heart of your relationship with God, stopping to remember what he's done. Colossians 2.16 says this, Don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. I think if, you, if you're a Jew, you'd be thinking, you've got to be kidding. God said stone people for not observing the Sabbath. Israel were kicked out of the promised land for not observing the Sabbath. And Colossians says, don't let anyone judge you with regard to a Sabbath. So you can see that why there was tension between the Jews and the Christians, why the Jews thought the Christians were blasphemers. What's going on there? Well, let's read on Colossians 2.16. Don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Every Sabbath day in the Old Testament was pointing forward to Jesus. Every one of those one days in seven was like a movie trailer pointing forward to the coming of Jesus. Jesus is the real thing, if you like, God's rest. Listen to what Jesus says. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The heavy yoke, the yoke that people couldn't bear was the yoke of the law, the Old Testament. With the Old Covenant, the Ten Commandments, people were always working to be right with God, trying to be good enough for God. What a burden! For a person who can never be perfect, trying to be good enough for God. What a terrible yoke. In fact, for Israel, even the Sabbath day, the day of rest, became a work. It became oppressive because they couldn't keep it. Jesus says, come to me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take my yoke upon you and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus offers rest for your soul. Spiritual rest. Rest because when you repent and trust Jesus, everything that needs to be done for you to please God has been done by Jesus. What did Jesus say on the cross before he died? 
it is finished, ceased. God has not only finished his work of creating through Jesus, he's finished his work of saving. And now there's a new rest, a bigger rest to enter that eclipses the Old Testament rest. It's the rest from trying to impress God. It's the rest from thinking that you've got to be good enough or somehow you need to do something or be something before God will accept you and love you. It's rest from feeling guilty before God. Jesus says to his people, it's okay. You can stop working. Your sin is gone. My rest is open. An eternity of rest for you to enter. Now I'm guessing there's two kinds of people here this morning. There's those who found God's rest who are followers of Jesus, and there's those who haven't found God's rest. And so I just want to go two ways here. Firstly, I want to think about people who have found rest, who are followers of Jesus. And in no particular order, um, I just want three things for you to think about, maybe implications of what we've looked at this morning or questions that might be going on in your heads. Firstly, as a Christian, do we need to observe the Sabbath? That is a question that I still hear. I hope you see clearly that the answer is no. We are free from the yoke of the law. We're not Israelites. You are free to work on a Sunday. But why would you? I mean, if you lived in a society where you were forced to work on a Sunday, you can still be a follower of Jesus. But if you have the freedom not to work... If you have the freedom to meet with God's people every week, if you have the freedom to stop and remember what God has saved you from and look forward to the new creation every week, why wouldn't you? In fact, in the New Testament, they did it every day. And Hebrews says, let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let's encourage each other and all the more as we see the day approaching why would you choose to work over meeting with god's people except perhaps if work has become more important for you than god's rest why would you choose to play golf on a sunday except that maybe physical rest has become more important for you than spiritual rest so the question isn't is it okay to work on a sunday the question is if you want to work on a sunday What's going on between you and God? And maybe if that's you, if you feel that struggle, go home and read Hebrews 4. It's an invitation to join God's rest with some, with some harsh warnings about ignoring it. Second um, challenge to Christians. As a follower of Jesus who's entered God's rest, what do you define yourself by? Do you define yourself by your work or by your rest? Do you measure yourself by your performance at work? Is that what your whole self-esteem, everything is tied up with? Or is it by your rest in Jesus and what he's done for you? What gives your life meaning and purpose? The five days that you work, the six days that you work, or the one day where you rest? 
I think many of us in Australia define ourselves by our work, don't we? We're a teacher. We're a bus driver. We're a nurse. And we happen to have one day off in seven, and on that day off, we happen to go to church. God is calling us to view life very differently, where first and foremost, you are one of God's people. And that is what defines you. You have found your rest in Jesus. And so you meet together with other people who found their rest in Jesus. This is who you are. And then that will change how you live on the other six days, won't it? One final um, one. Two final ones. Have you ever been to a funeral of someone and when they're kind of defining the person, all they talk about is a list of achievements, you know? This person did this, this person did that, this person did this, this person did that, and it can be so empty, as if all that person's life was was the series of jobs they did. Or sometimes I've been to a funeral where there was this person and obviously they were just a man or woman of God and it wasn't so much about what job they did or what things they achieved, but who they were. And people come up and give testimonies of, you know, this person was such a current encouragement to me just because whenever I went to them, they, they had time. They just seemed to have a rest about them. I remember a lecturer at Moore College who, when he died, had people just streaming to his bed, not so that they could comfort him, but so that he could comfort them. All these people saying, when I talked to him on his deathbed, he just had a peace, a rest, a security in Jesus. Now, lastly, if you're a follower of Jesus, but maybe you're thinking, well, I'm in God's rest, but shouldn't there be a bit more to this rest? You know, I'm in the rest, but there's not quite full rest. Well, that's okay, because... True rest comes in the next creation. That's what we're looking forward to. In Revelation 14, it says, Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. If you've got a family member or a friend or someone who was a Christian and who has died, they are now truly at rest. When they write rest in peace on the tombstones, it's actually a great truth, isn't it? Because blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. They have found rest. Okay, there's some things for you to think about over morning tea if you're a Christian, but I just want to end by talking to people who perhaps here are this morning and haven't found rest for their souls. And for you... The invitation is open. Hebrews 4 says, Therefore, since the promise of entering God's rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. In other words, God's rest is still open. You can stop working to try and please God, and Jesus has done all the work that needs to be done. Rest from your work. Jesus would say, come to me, 
all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And if you're here this morning and you haven't found rest, what better time than to do it this morning? Come and chat to me. Come and chat to Daryl. Come and chat to the person who brought you here this morning. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are a God who not only creates, but that you rested. And to thank you that the point of your rest was to invite us into it, that we might enjoy a relationship with you and a rest with you. And thank you that even though we've turned our backs on you, the promise of entering your rest still stands. Thank you that Jesus your son died so that we can have rest, forgiveness, eternal life. And Father, we pray that knowing that might change the other six days of our life. We pray that we would be intentional in our work, that we wouldn't be defined by our work and what we do on those six days, but that we'd be defined by Jesus and what he's done for us. And the rest of our lives would be a celebration of that. Pray that you'd help us to look forward to Jesus' return. Not be distracted by our work here, but to look forward to eternal rest with Jesus. And finally, Father, for people who are feeling burdened here today, hard to sleep at night, anxious, we pray that you might give them rest for their souls through knowing you. Amen.